0: This morning, we are finishing up our series called Leaving Egypt. Tim's going to lead us, and um, if you want to open your Bibles or follow along on the screen, we're going to read our scripture, which is coming from the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, "'Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders.' So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab towards Libo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. This is the word of God. Thanks. Be to God.
1: Hmm. I don't know how your family dinner conversations go. Sometimes ours seem to digress into silliness. One of our favorite games is playing Would You Rather. If you know about this game, somebody asks, would you rather this or that? And uh, I think in the official rule books of Would You Rather, you're supposed to put two things that are equally disagreeable together and then you have to choose one. But the way we play it and our kids like to play it is they put one thing that's very nice together with one thing that's very yucky. So instead, they play this. They say, would you rather... Have a bowl of pudding or a stinky bowl of mud? It's kind of an easy choice. I'll choose the pudding, and then they roar in laughter, right? That's how that goes. But this would you rather makes me think about these psychology experiments where they test human beings by bringing them in and say, would you rather have one M&M now or ten M&Ms tomorrow? And strangely, people choose one now, they choose the immediate, because they don't want to wait, they don't want to suffer, and have to wait all day long till the next day to get the ten. It's kind of an interesting thing, this would-you-rather phenomenon. Well, we're in this series, Leaving Egypt, and today we're looking at the would-you-rather that Israel faced as they stood at the edge of the promised land, looked in, and made the choice. Would they rather go into the land of milk and honey and live there in abundance or go back to slavery in Egypt? Hmm. Kind of an interesting choice. Would you rather, you know, go to this place God is giving you and have a wonderful life or go back to slavery in Egypt? Which would you choose? Hmm. Well, this may not be quite the fair game to play because there's more factors involved than just what's at the surface. Because Israel has been in Egypt prior to this 400 years. So all they knew was Israel in Egypt, their parents in Egypt, their grandparents in Egypt. They just knew Egypt. It was safe. It was comfortable. It was known. That was the immediate choice to go to a place that they knew and felt comfortable in. You know, Slavery might be a hassle, kind of a burden, but at least they knew what every day would look like, and they knew that there would be food on the table. And this promised land—I mean, God's talking about this promised land—but that's not immediate. That's this long view out there someday, and we don't know about that. How can we be sure? How can we like imagine what that is? We haven't been there. We don't know about it. And complicating factor. There's people living in the land. They're living in the houses. They're populating the cities. They live there. That's their place. How are we going to get them out? This seems ridiculously impossible. So, in some ways, Israel's standing there, and this is the scaled up, would you rather have one M&M now or ten tomorrow that they have to choose? Do we go back to safety and comfort in Egypt, or do we move forward with God in this impossible thing? Well, this is a story that's told in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, and Israel is 18 months out of Egypt, and here they are at the edge of the promised land. Behind them are all these experiences of God, you know, that God did these phenomenal things to convince Pharaoh to let them go. God did this phenomenal thing in, like, parting the Red Sea so they could walk across, and then... Pharaoh's army, when Pharaoh changed his mind, they come in and the waters go back on top of them. And then God starts leading them every day with a physical manifestation of his presence. He's leading them by a cloud by day and fire by night. And every morning they wake up and there's manna on the ground to eat. God has been doing all these impossible things. And now they're at the edge looking into the promised land And they have to believe God will do the next impossible thing. That God will continue to take care of them. That God will follow through on his promise. So there they are at the edge, looking in. Next step, promised land. What do they do? They want to go back to Egypt. Are you shocked by this? Does this make you say, huh? Or, as you hear that, do you think, ooh, I've been there. I know what that's like. I can relate. Well, this story, the story of the Exodus, is our story. You know, Israel's release from slavery, being led into the Promised Land, is a physical picture of what each of us goes through in life. It's a, it's a picture that we all experience in our own ways. You know, Susie's been setting this up over the past couple of weeks. That, like Israel, we are in slavery. And this is simply the broken condition hum- of humanity. That in our, the place we're in, we have these yearnings, these longings for love and comfort and security and safety and control. Sometimes when we pursue these things, they turn around and they enslave us. You know, the prophet Jeremiah once used the image of thirst and water to communicate this idea of how we look to other things to satisfy us rather than looking to God. Here's what Jeremiah wrote. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The good news, the good news of Jesus and Easter is that Jesus became our spring of living water. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, remove us, removed us from slavery and gives us a freedom. He releases us from these entanglements of sin and death and all this stuff and frees us. And now we can move forward in life with that freedom. But we have a choice. He brings us out of slavery, but then we have to choose. Am I going to go back to that thing, that place of safety, control, knownness, immediate, or am I going to continue to move forward with him to get Egypt out of me? Well, how have you lived your exodus story? How has this gone for you? You know, that first step of receiving Jesus in his forgiveness and taking on that freedom and that transformation of being adopted into God's family, you know, that's the first step. Remember feeling that experience of feeling free? And then when that Exodus thing kind of gets back into you from Egypt and you kind of think, oh, I'm going to go back there, it's easier. Well, that's the next step that we need to take to get Egypt out of us. So going back to Egypt, that metaphor, that idea, going back to Egypt is the immediate solution, the immediate solution that gets rid of our pain. So immediate solution, that view of pain, is that pain is something to be avoided. Pain is something that we should try at all costs to get away from, to stop, to not have. (laughs) That We just don't want pain. And I think we live in this world and this culture right now where we focus on eliminating the pain, but we aren't always dealing with the underlying causes. Think about an example in your own life perhaps of stress. You know, if you experience stress, what do you do? Try to address the symptom. You know, take an Advil to relieve your headache or the tension in your neck. Maybe you want to escape the stress by having a glass of wine. Or maybe you use the very practical way of getting rid of stress by just yelling at somebody and passing all that stress onto them. But we do these things to get away from pain, not necessarily dealing with the symptom or the causes. So the immediate solution says to go toward what is most comfortable and avoid the pain. But in contrast, there's this long view. God's inviting us into this long view of the story with him that says, keep going. You know, whatever it takes to get Egypt out of you, just keep going and I will go there with you. And God's long view sees pain differently. God's long view sees pain differently. It says that pain is just pain. It's just a reality in our life. Pain isn't bad. It's not really good either, but pain just is it just is it's a reality and it's a part of life and sometimes experiencing pain is something that's telling us something pain is something that is useful it's a part of healthy living so since we are going to experience pain why not experience it and use it to grow to work through to experience more of God in his life more deeply in your life Pain is not going away. Why not accept the pain and use that pain as an entry point to connect with God in a deeper life? So the long view choice is to go toward what is good for the rest of your life, even if there is pain now. All right, let's play a little bit of would you rather. Would you rather, long view or immediate solution. Would you rather... Take the long view and endure the pain, vulnerability, and awkwardness of asking someone out on a date. Or take the immediate solution of comfortably keeping to yourself. Hmm, I remember that pain, September 30th, 1996. I remember that. How about this one? Would you rather take the long view and endure the pain, discomfort, and inconvenience? Of exercising, or take the immediate solution of sitting on the couch. I think that was my choice yesterday. (laughs) Ah. Would you rather take the long view of enduring the pain, discomfort, and hassle of braces to fix your teeth, or take the immediate solution of no braces because they make your teeth hurt? This is actually Susie's example. That's why she's not sitting here. She's too embarrassed of her teenage years and how difficult she was. But is it interesting? Like, kids just can't see the logic of fixing your teeth for all your future. All they want is to have no pain now. How about this one? Would you rather take the long view and endure the pain, embarrassment, and shame of confessing to someone that you did something wrong And asking for forgiveness, or take the immediate solution of just avoiding that person. Would you rather take the long view and endure the pain, shame, fear of going to your first AA meeting, or take the immediate solution of just coping as you have been coping? I think this is such an interesting example of going into the depth of difficulty to say that you have messed up, you've messed up other things in life around you and other people's lives, and now to admit it and to be moving forward, taking responsibility for it, that's so hard. And yet, that very thing becomes the place of transformation. That's where the power is. Well, Israel was gathered at the edge of the promised land. Egypt was behind them. All those amazing things God did to solve the impossible. And here they are facing the next impossible task. Will they believe that God can do this as well? And there is no sugarcoating this situation. Even now, as I think about this situation of removing people from a land so that we can live there is uncomfortable and awkward, and I don't know how to process that. It's a it's difficult. Let alone for them, what were they thinking? Were they like, okay, we're heading into war where we are gonna possibly die? This is gonna be unpleasant. This is going to be difficult. The bottom line is, moving forward, getting Egypt out of you, is difficult. It's hard. It's not easy. But it's something God wants to do with us and take us forward. Well, this is the season of Lent. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter minus Sundays because every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. But this 40 days of Lent is a church tradition that echoes back to when Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness after his baptism and before he began his three years of ministry. And that 40 days echoes back to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And so, in this way, we participate in preparation for Easter in 40 days of Lent. Here's what Mark says about Jesus going out into the wilderness. So, right after his baptism, this is what happens. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Isn't that interesting language? That the Spirit drove him out. This wasn't Jesus' choice, not some immediate solution. Not pleasant, but necessary. So, because out in the wilderness, Jesus was being prepared for what was next. Out in the wilderness, Jesus experienced pain. And that was the place where the angels could minister to him. In the same way for the people of Israel, in the wilderness for 40 years, there was pain in the wilderness. And that was the place where God could minister to them. And as we practice the 40 days of Lent and choose pain, that is the place where God can minister to us. You know, one of the several Lent practices is giving something up for Lent. In the Catholic tradition, um, at least in Wisconsin where I came from, they give up meat on Fridays, thus fish fries. But giving up something for Lent, in order to feel pain and suffering and bring in that your attention to God. That's the idea. Bringing our awareness to God and to have God meet us in our suffering. Um, In my Wednesday morning men's group, uh, we talked about this, and so a few weeks ago when we began um, Lent, we talked about what we're giving up, and Rich He said, is kind of a new thing, not familiar with Lent and giving something up, but he tried it. And so this past week he said, you know what, I've been feeling this hunger, this like desire for meat. He gave up meat, and now he's like, I feel that, that longing, that want for it, and I've been holding that. And I've been trying to bring my attention to God. I mean, there's an option, right? He could be like, I'm hungry now, I desire something to eat and meat, and he could just go get a hamburger. But instead he continues throughout all these weeks to kind of hold that feeling to suffer and to bring his attention to God. And through this practice of choosing pain by giving something up, we essentially train ourselves to accept pain and to turn our attention to God. We're training ourselves to experientially know that I don't need meat. I don't need alcohol, I don't need sugar, I don't need whatever it is that I'm giving up. I don't need that because those things don't bring deep life satisfaction to me. I can have them or not have them. I am free from them. But more importantly, in this experience, I can suffer and God can meet me in that and take care of me, provide for me, minister to me. So Israel, standing at the edge of the promised land, they send the 12 spies in to scope out the land, to look around, see what's going on, and 10 of those 12 come back, and here's what they report. We came to the land to which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit, these huge grapes. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides. We saw the descendants of Anak there. Those are giants. Did you notice that, however, transition? Hey, this is the land of milk and honey. It's really awesome over there. However, there's giants there, and they're in fortified cities, and this is impossible. So let's go back to Egypt. Those ten didn't see beyond the impossible, to see God's possibility. Here's what the people said after those reports from the 10. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, we should choose a leader who could take us back to Egypt. Twelve spies were sent out. Ten came back and did not believe God could do the impossible. But two did. It says that Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Joshua and Caleb believed God. What is your Egypt? You know, in this experience with God, you've been released and freed, and you come to the edge of something, and then you look back and make the choice to go back. Come to the edge of the promised land, and then something captures you and pulls you back to Egypt. Here's what Chuck DeGroat wrote about this experience that we have. He writes, faced with the daunting prospect of moving forward, of embracing a life of greater flourishing, we find ourselves losing hope. The sex addict returns to his favorite pornographic sites. The workaholic returns to his busy schedule, knowing that his schedule kills any chance of intimacy with his wife or connection with his children. The angry wife defaults to her husband's defensiveness, squelching his spirit. The abused woman returns to a relationship where she knows she'll be used rather than loved. The religious addict defaults to her legalistic ways, judging others rather than embracing the love God has for her, even in her failures. Over and over again, we choose to return to Egypt instead of daring to enter the promised land. We settle for less than the life for which God made us. The story of the exodus, leaving Egypt, is our story. Think about where you have left slavery behind only to get pulled back again. You know, maybe the cost was too high, the shame too great, pain was too much. But if you are ready to get Egypt out of you, God is ready to go with you. Here's what Sean Gladding writes about this in this book, The Story of God, The Story of Us. But God not only wanted to get God's people out of Egypt, God also wanted to get Egypt out of them. It's stories rooted in fear and greed, power and prestige, idolatry and ideology. We also have been deeply shaped by the stories of Egypt, the stories of Babylon, the stories of empire. That is why we must keep telling the story of God to each other, to remind ourselves who we are, and to help us resist the power and attraction for those other stories and break the hold they have over us. You know, my hope is that we are telling the story of God over and over to each other, that we are reminding each other of who we are and who God is and what the promised land is like on the other side of pain. If I can invite you, when you come to communion today, would you pause here at the edge of the pew and ask yourself, would I rather... Would I rather move forward with God to embrace his freedom, no matter what the pain, but to go forward with him, or would I rather just go back, go back to whatever your Egypt is? To make that choice, to say no to the immediate solution, and say yes to God and joining him in moving forward toward the promised land let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection that we are about to celebrate on Easter. Thank you for the freedom that you have provided, that we have been freed from sin and death and slavery to anything that ties us down in this world, and we've been freed to be united with you. pray that we would embrace this. And no matter what pain is ahead of us, God, we would, with courage and bravery that you provide, move forward to take hold of your hand and to take the next step, to leave things behind and to move forward with you. We pray for your grace to do these things in your name. Amen.